So if you'd like to join me, Matthew 16, uh, starting at verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what they have done. Thanks, Emily and Lane, for praying in the Bible for us. While I sort myself up here for a second, I want you to discuss with the person next to you what do you think it means to follow, or what comes to mind when you think of following? Turn and discuss with one another as I sort myself out. <clears throat> All right, wouldn't be long. I want to pray for us as we step into this world of Jesus and following him, and then we'll um, look at this passage together. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here with you and you with us and to just stop and set our minds and hearts on you. And so we pray for your grace to do that. Father, we pray that your spirit would be doing his work, the work that he's been doing from the beginning and bringing people to you through your son Jesus. And so we pray that you would, Father, stir us up with a burning desire to follow your son Jesus and a burning desire, Father, to do that whatever may come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was going to apologise in advance. My throat is a bit um, all over the at the moment. So if I need to pause... Have a drink. That might happen. So, thanks. So when we talk about being a follower, or what it means to follow, what jumps to mind? For me, as I've thought about it this week, I've realised that a lot of what we do in life revolves around following someone or something. You know, we follow people with an awesome Instagram so that we're inspired. You know, we follow uh, diets so that we can be like that beautiful person and have their body. We follow food blogs so that we know how to create a really tasty meal. We follow parenting podcasts so that we can try and figure out what on earth we're supposed to be doing. You know, we follow uh, the Brisbane Broncos in the NRL or the Sydney Swans in the AFL. Well, because apparently that's what Aussies do. They follow sporting teams. And we follow our marriage vows because we want to love the person that we're living with, that we're joined to, our husband and wife. And so when we think about it, a lot of what we do is about following someone or something. And those different things we follow are called for a different level of commitment. There is a difference between following an Instagram and following your marriage vows. There's a difference between, you could say, following a diet and following a rugby league team. But the thing is, for us today, in our culture, no matter what level of commitment 
uh, following requires of us, if it gets too hard, if it asks too much of us, we simply unfollow. We're out. Now, like a guy, you know, I played footy with, uh, he, I don't know why, he follows the Gold Coast Titans. Um, They've never won an NRL premiership, but yet he remained just unwavering in his commitment to his sporting team. But when his marriage vows asked or called for the same unwavering commitment, he was out. To be a follower today, you know, in our minds, might look like being a fan. It might sound like, you know, I'll be on your side, I'll follow you, so long as you don't ask too much of me. As long as we're, well, as long as you're on my page, we're good. <clears throat> it's interesting, in one of uh, the TV series uh, Sarah and I got into, uh, The Office, uh, there's a character called Ryan, and he's a temp in a paper company, and he says this, I want to be led, I need to be led, but don't boss me around. <clears throat> and get this, lead me when I want to be led. The office captures the spirit of our day when it comes to being a follower. Don't tell me what to do. Don't boss me around. And so, really, being a follower is really just centred on me. Yes, I'll follow, as long as it's convenient and comfortable for me. So when Jesus says, follow me, what do we think he means? Do we think Jesus means, follow me like you follow an inspiring Instagram? Follow me like you follow advice from a podcast? Follow me like you follow a sporting team just because it's what you do? Are we on the same page at Jesus at this point? The only way to find that out is actually go to Jesus himself. And so when we step into Jesus' world as being a follower is to be a disciple. And we see this in verse 24. So if you've got a Bible, look in your Bibles. It will be on the screen if you don't have one. But notice Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Jesus is saying that to follow him means being a disciple. They are the same thing. And a disciple in Jesus' day was someone who follows the teaching of another, but to the purpose of imitating their life. To be a disciple was to give allegiance to their leader. To be a disciple was to attach their way of life to their teachers. To be a disciple was to enter into an apprenticeship with a master. To be a disciple was to belong to a particular leader and to become like them. To be a disciple was more than a commitment to follow advice. It was more than a commitment of just being a fan. It was a commitment to following someone's way of life. And some disciples in those days, they would literally follow their master, their teacher, um, their leader, day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year, just so that they could become like their teacher. Over the years, I've done my fair share of following as an apprentice 
cabinet maker, as an apprentice carpenter. Um, I was coached as a rugby league player. More recently, you know, I did an, a ministry apprenticeship and I was, I've been coached as a pastor. And it's interesting, as I look on those following relationships, that as I followed those people, my coaches, my teachers, that I've actually started to become like them. And so I started to buy the same tools that they did. I started cracking the same jokes they did. I started to tackle the way that they tackled. I started to read the same authors that they read and so on. You know, it's interesting, when we start to follow someone, we do start to become like them. And it's the same when it comes to following Jesus. To be a disciple, to follow Jesus, is to give Jesus all of our allegiance. It's to align our life with his. It's to attach our identity and life to Jesus's. It's to enter into an apprenticeship with him. It's to belong and to become like Jesus. And so make no mistake, following Jesus is exciting, but it's also very threatening because Jesus isn't calling us to follow a religion. Jesus isn't calling us to follow another person. Jesus isn't calling us to be church attenders only. Jesus isn't calling us to follow him at arm's length. Jesus isn't calling us to follow him like a fan. Jesus isn't even calling us to follow him by sitting down together and discussing what it means to follow him. Jesus doesn't call us to follow him by sitting down and asking, what does the Greek mean? No, when Jesus says, follow me, he means, follow me. Give me all of your allegiance. Align your life with mine. Attach your identity to mine. Enter into a lifelong apprenticeship with me. And so the prior and primary thing of being a follower is that it is a call to someone rather than a call to do something. It is first a call to follow and belong to Jesus before it's a call to do anything else. And so at this point, as we're thinking about what it means to follow, if you think Jesus is asking more than you thought, asking for more skin in the game than you might have first thought, well, you're right. But the question is, just how much skin in the game is Jesus asking for? And we see the answer if we look a bit more closely at verse 24. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must. Now just stop and notice that whatever Jesus is going to say next, it is a must. It is essential. Not just for the person sitting next to you, but for all of us. Anyone, Jesus says, anyone and everybody must. What is it? Must take up their or must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Jesus says, following me means self-denial. And Jesus captures this idea of self-denial with this image of a person taking up their cross. Now, for some of us, uh, this idea of following Jesus, taking up our cross, uh, is pretty uncontroversial, pretty familiar. But in reality, what Jesus is saying here is deeply controversial and very unfamiliar because we don't drive down Logan Road or up Miles Platting Road with the road size lined with people nailed to timber crosses. And so make no mistake, 
when we read this verse, when we hear Jesus say, follow me and take up your cross, we are entering into a different world. And so to feel the weight of what Jesus is saying, we need to appreciate what crucifixion was. And so crucifixion, as you may know, was a form of cru- uh, uh, execution. <clears throat> it, was simp- it wasn't simply uh, putting someone to death as quickly and painlessly as possible. No, crucifixion, or public crucifixion, was emotional, mental, uh, physical, social, shaming, humiliation, and death. See, public crucifixion in particular began with what is called a scourging. And what happens there is the criminal, or you as the criminal, you are bound by chains and hung up, exposing the most vulnerable parts of your body. And then the Roman officer will take his cat of nine tails, nine leather straps embedded with metal and bone, and he will take it to you, inflicting upon you the most horrific damage to the point where people didn't even get to the cross because of how bad the damage was with scourging. And so next, that is, even if you make it that far, you are given a wooden cross. And you would carry that wooden cross to the place where you would then uh, be stripped of your clothing, you would be nailed through your hands and feet onto a timber cross hung up, exposed for everybody to see, where then, again, if you made it this far, your death could take hours to days. And so the sight of cross-carrying in Jesus' day as an onlooker saw someone carrying their cross was a sign that their life in this world is over. A decision to follow Jesus, when he says, follow me, it is none other than a willingness to carry your cross, to take up a cross-carrying life. To follow Jesus is to say that my life in this world is now over and that my life living for Jesus has begun. In Jesus' day, nothing communicated this more than someone carrying their cross. And so Jesus says that this is what it looks like to follow me. This is what self-denial looks like. And so Jesus captures this idea of self-denial with that a vivid picture of a cross-carrying life, that genuinely following Jesus requires self-denial. Now, there's two things that we need to understand about what Jesus means by self-denial. The first thing is that Jesus doesn't mean self-denial for self-denial's sake. There's lots of people who live a self-denying life. Jesus isn't saying that self-denial is good just for self-denial's sake. He is calling us to a self-denial of a renouncing our allegiance to me, to Jesus alone, and to nobody else. The second thing is that it is not a low self of esteem or self-worth. No, self-denial is a self-forgetfulness. A self-forgetfulness. A refusal to pay attention to me and to pay attention to Jesus. And so uh, in 1519, there's a guy who is named um, 
Hernando or Hernando, sorry, Hernando Cortez, and he led an expedition into Mexico for treasure. Now, he was given 11 ships, 700 men, and was sent off by the Spanish government. Now, arriving on the Mexican coast, um, after the men had unloaded the boats, uh, Cortez burned all the boats. He burned the boats. We're committed to this. There is no turning back. There's no other option on the table. Those plans, that life, your preferences that were on those boats are gone. Cortez didn't know what lay ahead of him. He didn't even know how strong those 700 men were. But what he did know was this, that whatever would come, however strong they were, there would be no talk of getting back on the boats. There'd be no talk of my plans, my life, my preferences. They're burned. In burning the boats, Cortez created a powerful commitment. And this is a picture of what wholehearted commitment looks like or what self-denial looks like. It's a burning the boats of our plans and preferences. This is what following Jesus looks like, wholehearted commitment. It means burning our boats. Now, if this was the level of commitment that marked any of our relationships in this room, your friendships, your, uh, your family relationships, your marriage, you would call this love. Think about it. The willingness to wholeheartedly commit in laying down your life for another and nobody else. Day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. So maybe following Jesus is more like the picture of a marriage relationship. It's funny, uh, when Sarah and I were getting uh, married, when we were engaged, uh, my pastor LT, he's actually coming to our church camp, by the way, so you'll meet him um, if you come along to that. Uh, he said to me, um, well, he reminded me actually of this story of Cortez's burning of the boats. LT said, uh, you know the commitment that you're making. He said, mate, you're committing to Sarah. There's no other options. Marriage is burning all the boats. You're wholeheartedly committing, giving all allegiance, attaching yourself to Sarah. You know, it's entering into a relationship where from that day forward, as the marriage commitment goes, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to death do us part, in other words, whatever may come, I am with you, I am yours, you are mine and I am yours. It's a relationship that uh, promises total head and heart allegiance in all places at all times, a relationship where what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. And so following Jesus means to join him in a commitment of all allegiance in all places at all times. It's a decision to live for him and not yourself or anybody else. See, following Jesus means loving him above all. Just like a marriage commitment is to love one person above all others. 
And we get this picture in the Bible, particularly when we look at the letter of Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And in 1 John chapter 4, we get this is how God shows his love among us. He sent his, only, his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so Jesus points to the cross because it is at the cross where God's love, his self-sacrificing love for us, is on ultimate display. Jesus also points to the cross because he lived a cross-carrying life. Jesus lived a life of self-sacrificial love. And you only need to glance up the page in Matthew to verse 21, I think it is, and you'll see Jesus say, this is why I am here. And you only need to turn to the end of the book of Matthew to chapter 27 and see that Jesus ended up on the cross as a display of God's love for us. And so because following Jesus means aligning uh, allegiance, belonging and becoming like Jesus, we are called like him to this cross-carrying life too. Like Jesus, we are called to deny ourselves because this is what Jesus did for us. We're called to enter into a loving relationship with Jesus and this loving relationship is the way of the cross. It's the way of love. It's to say that my life living for me in this world is over and my life living for Jesus has begun. It's to say that uh, this life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. This loving union with Jesus is displayed then as we stop living for me and start living for Jesus. Jesus says, burn your boats, carry your cross, follow me, love me. But let's think about what this means for us in our experience of the Christian life. How does this help us make sense of what it actually means as we do follow Jesus? And if you're anything like me, it can be easy at times when life gets hard, when following Jesus gets hard, is to start thinking that something is wrong. It's easy to think that following Jesus actually shouldn't be like this. It shouldn't feel like this. And so we begin to feel bad. Guilty, shameful, that we're finding this Christian life difficult or hard. We're being led to believe that living the Christian life isn't meant to feel like this. But what we need to realise at this point, we're actually not being led by Jesus. Because if it feels hard, if it feels like it hurts, if you feel like you're suffering, if you feel like you're dying inside, It's because Jesus is calling you to die. It's because Jesus is calling you, calling us to carry our cross. We are called to crucify things like uh, porn addiction, lust, greed, um, you know, lusting after people's people and their possessions, gossiping, lying, manipulation, and we're called to live out Christ's love, peace, joy, kindness, gentleness, patience, and self-control. The presence of suffering in the Christian life is actually evidence that we are in a loving, cross-carrying relationship with Jesus. It comes with the territory. And so Jesus isn't talking about a suffering from sickness 
Jesus is talking about a suffering that comes as we take up our cross, as we deny ourselves. The suffering that comes emotionally, mentally, physically, social suffering as I die to me and live for him. And so the question is, where in our life are we unwilling to follow Jesus like this? What area of your life hasn't surrendered all allegiance to Jesus? In what way is our life not aligned with his? What or who are you attaching your identity to outside of Jesus? Because right here and right now, as we sit under God's word, he is calling us to die to these things now and follow Jesus. So he asks before, how much skin in the game is Jesus asking for? He's asking for all of it. Because he gave all of his for us. And so we also need to recognise, though, that the suffering of the cross isn't the end of Jesus' story. It's not the end of his story, and it's not the end of our story too. And so as we look at these final verses, 25 to 27, we're going to see that as we follow Jesus and his story, the cross and his death is actually not the end, but his resurrection and loving rule is. And so when we talk about the cross-shaped life, the cross-carrying life, it is, if I can say, life. It is the cross-shaped life. Because if we follow Jesus, attaching our life to his, we're not only sharing in his suffering, but his life and loving rule too. Jesus says in verse 25, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for you or for someone to gain the world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Or in other words, Jesus is saying, if you want to save your life, your soul, yourself, if you insist on holding on and refusing to let go of yourself, determined to live your way, you will lose yourself. But to give, away, to give yourself away in love, in following me, in that moment of complete self-abandonment, when you feel like you have got nothing left, in that moment you have everything in me. And when you turn to me, you will find yourself. And so when we follow Jesus, our cross-carrying Saviour King, yes, we follow him to the cross, sacrificing himself in exchange for us and rising from the dead, and so we also share in his life too. And verse 27 reminds us of this reality. For the Son of Man is, come, is going to come. He's alive. He's alive and in the Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Jesus is alive and his loving rule has begun. And he is coming back. And to those who do respond to the call of Whoever wants to be my disciple, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me, you will receive your reward. You will get what Jesus won for you that day. You will get life. So we live a now but not yet life. But what about the now? What about here? Well, what Jesus wants us to do is he wants us to find what we're searching for in him. And so what are we actually searching for? 
Now, some um, studies in psychology say that there are three core things that we are looking for, three things that we really do need to be able to say. I feel free to be who I am because being me is good. I feel like a competent person, that I'm useful. I feel loved and cared for and that I'm valued. But But when we rely on finding our sense of goodness, usefulness and value in ourselves, in the things of this world, we are in a constant threat of losing them because they are um, shaky, unreliable, insufficient. And so we actually do not find life looking there. We actually find a whole world of pain, of sadness, of shame, guilt, depression and loss. And the crazy thing is that our world tells us hey, keep looking to me for life. Keep looking to me to find you, to be the real you. Keep looking to me and you will be better off. But can we actually honestly say that when I get the world, I feel like I am good, that being me is okay, that when I get the world, I feel like I'm useful, that when I get the world, I feel loved? I don't think we can because this isn't our experience. Sooner or later, the flooding of shame and guilt, depression and loss come flooding back in. But the crazy thing is that we're made to actually feel stupid to believe anything different. We are made to feel stupid that even believing that we have a soul and that it should be even cared for is ridiculous. And so Jesus somehow becomes irrelevant. Yet, we still want what Jesus offers. We still want the love, the peace, the joy, the kindness, the gentleness, just without following Jesus. And it doesn't work like that. But when we do follow Jesus, we can say that when I am with Jesus, I am free to be who I am because Jesus has called me with all of my strengths, with all of my weaknesses, to follow him. We can say that when I am with Jesus, I feel like a useful person because Jesus gives me his new life and he calls me to serve him. We can say that when I am with Jesus, I feel loved and cared for because Jesus gave his own life for me. He gave it all up for me. What this means for us is that we no longer need to worry about ourselves because Jesus has us covered and we are free to follow him. And so, when we hear Jesus' call to follow him, it is a call of allegiance, of aligning, of belonging and becoming like him. It is to say that my life living in this world is over and that my life living for Jesus has begun. This life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God and Jesus who loved me and gave his life for me. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, for his life that he lived in our place, a life that we couldn't live, for the death he died in our place, taking the penalty and punishment for our sin, giving his life in exchange for ours. And Father, his resurrection and loving rule where we share in his life. And Father, we pray 
that you would help us to make more sense of what this following Jesus looks like. Father, as we take up our crosses to follow Jesus, give us your grace to strengthen our hearts and our minds and our bodies to follow Jesus, whatever may come, because he is our loving king. He is our cross-carrying king. And he's given us life and he's coming back. And Father, we long to share and belong to that day. In fact, Father, we do belong to that day. So Father, help us to live like we do by dying to ourselves and living for Jesus. Amen.